Welcome to the Activist Insight Podcast, Beyond the Boardroom, a supplement to our monthly podcast, which takes you through the top shareholder activism stories as told by Activist Insight Monthly. Here we discuss shareholder activism with some of the industry's top experts. I'm Ilana Duray, a financial reporter with Activist Insight. And today, we are chatting with Ben Axler, founder and chief investment officer of Spruce Point Capital Management. Spruce Point is one of the several young short sellers that has not only built a business around the process of finding overvalued companies, but puts the name of its principles on its research. It has become well-known in the industry for its detailed slideshows, which are packed with analysis and justifications for its price targets. Ben has exposed alleged frauds with a market cap of over $1 billion on the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange, using forensic accounting and financial data analysis. His most recent target is XPO Logistics, the transport and delivery firm that he says produces a paltry return on invested capital. A crisis of confidence in management and a loss of access to capital could wipe out shareholders, he concludes. In the interim, we see 40% to 60% downside risk as the market reassesses XPO's earnings quality, outlook, and some of parts multiple. In 2018, 144 companies have been targeted by activist short sellers, 26% of which were in the healthcare sector, according to activist Insight Shorts. Other popular sectors to target included technology and services. 52 short sellers publicly subjected companies to allegations in 2018, up from 51 the year before. Today, Ben will give us a few tips on how to spot a good short target. Hi, Ben. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with us today. To start off, I'd like to know how you got into short selling. Thank you for having me. So I got into short selling by necessity. I I felt really empowered to want to create change in terms of the research process on on Wall Street and painting a, a, a more fair picture of companies' business prospects. A lot of this was rooted in my work experience. I started my career at Credit Suisse. We bought DLJ. This was during the first technology boom. Uh, went through a very messy, difficult you know, six plus years integration. And then I moved over to Barclays where we bought Lehman Brothers and we all know how that ended. So after being through a number of very difficult, you know, uh, large acquisitions that failed, in my opinion, you know, I felt that the, that it was uh, important to, to look not only at the, the, the positive side of business, of which Wall Street's, you know, big goal is to promote stocks and companies as successes, but, but also look at the failures and the pitfalls and why companies don't succeed. And that's what really tuned my mind to short selling. What is your short selling philosophy? What characteristics or themes do you look for in a short target? My short selling philosophy is that come up with a variant view as to why, you know, a company should be shorted and not owned. And, you know, we do that through deep forensic financial analysis. But I try to take a holistic view of the companies when we're doing our research. And it really, it's a top-down view. I mean, we look at the company, its position within the industry, try to find evidence of financial strain that is being covered up by, by management. We like to look heavily at the um, accuracy of the accounting to see if there's evidence that management's maybe, you know, pulling forward revenues or deferring expenses. We also look heavily at the state of the balance sheet, our ideas short is one that has a bad balance sheet, although certainly we've you know looked at companies that have good balance sheets that are maybe being you know underutilized or management's not using capital correctly. We also like to look a lot at, 
at the governance. I think that's a, a big, big uh, underappreciated point. Um, and look at the linkage of incentives between investors and management and look for evidence of breakdowns or ways which, you know, management is um, taking advantage of shareholders, I think. You know, lastly, valuation. Ultimately, we try to find, you know, securities where we think there's at least 30% downside. And so if we can find, you know, a bad management team working in a company or an industry where they're trying to cover up financial strain with aggressive accounting and find evidence of uh, misalignment of, of incentives with an overvaluation aspect to it, that's sort of our perfect short where it checks all of our boxes. The market has a lot of companies. How do you even know where to start looking? Where does your initial idea come from? Uh, it's a great question. So, you know, I think many of the ideas come from myself. Um, you know, as I said, you know, I was a banker for a number of years. So I'm very familiar with most of the companies here in the U.S. that are publicly traded. We do, I think, an exceptionally good job of tracking bad managers or, you know, executives that have destroyed value in the past. Many times uh, they often reappear in the future at other companies and other capacities. But it's not just the managers. We take a holistic view and look at everybody associated with the company, whether it's the managers the directors. We also look at the brokers that are promoting the stocks. In addition to that, we follow auditors. So it's taking the whole mosaic view of who are the people behind the companies and who are the people that could be you know, perpetuating the financial fraud. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is looking carefully at numbers. We do believe that if the numbers are too good to be true, then perhaps they're being falsified or inflated. On the other hand, if they're very good over time, we would expect them to come down because profits are competed away. So abnormal profits attract competition. So we, we look for abnormal profits. We look for abnormal growth rates, abnormal productivity measures. We look for numbers that don't make sense to us. And then we try to understand whether or not they're fairly, fairly inaccurately stated. And I think, you know, if we do that, like we will continue to generate tremendous amount of ideas. It's looking at the people, looking at the numbers, receiving tips from time to time, which has helped us generate new short ideas at a regular pace. The market has been fairly strong in the last few years, save for the last few months. Does that change your process or the short positions you think are actionable? Not really. I mean, I think there's great shorts to be had in all markets, bullish markets, bearish markets, sideways markets, I think. The, the past few years, we've had very strong bullish markets that has invited um, weaker companies, less mature businesses to come public. Easy capital and lots of liquidity made available by central banks has made it easier for unscrupulous you know, managers and stock promoters to take companies public at irrational values. So this bullish market's created great opportunity for us. The bearish market is, is the market that's separates the haves from the have-nots, and the market gets more discriminating in terms of the valuations that are assigned to these companies and where public investors will allocate capital. So, you know, not surprisingly, it's been a better year for us to, to really um, drive change you know, in the share prices for the companies that we're targeting in. But all in all, it, it really hasn't changed our orientation. We're continuing to be steadfast in our belief that there are more pockets of opportunity to short, not less. And, you know, we're going to be committed to to short selling through any market up, down, or sideways. What makes a campaign successful? How do you define success? Yeah, I mean, you might think that it's you know clearly getting the share price down. That's how short sellers profit. But it's not always the case. I mean, you know, we've had some campaigns where, you know, the share price has been flat or even modestly up, but 
but we've had some success in driving change at the corporate level. I mean, we are looking to see if companies are removing executives, whether it be a CEO or a CFO. In certain cases, we've had success removing directors that we viewed as problematic directors or those unfit to, to oversee the company. So, you know, we're looking at, at changes, executive changes. We're also looking at whether or not uh, businesses are divested. You know, we did write a report on a company called MGP Ingredients as an example, where we saw some anomalies in their joint venture accounting. What did they do? They sold off the joint venture. And yet that was perceived as a bullish sign and the stock, you know, went up. And uh, while it wasn't a, a large financially successful campaign for us, um, we still think that we created tangible change. Going off of that definition, what has been your most successful campaign and why? Too many to recount, to be honest with you. No, just and just and all joking aside, um, so that's a great question. I think Caesar Stone was our most successful financial campaign. Caesar Stone was a company that came across our radar because we believed they were producing abnormal gross profit margins for a company that makes quartz countertops. So we had to design a research process in order to disprove the accuracy of their financial statements. We were fortunate to do a freedom of information request with the SEC. We got their quartz contracts and we saw some anomalies between the cost inflation that was being reported in their SEC filings versus what their contracts showed. Additionally, we tested their product. We got some samples, sent it to a lab, and our lab test determined that the product had less quartz than the company was marketing. And so, you know, we concisely sort of summarized our views on Caesar Stone in our financial report in 2015. The stock peaked in the 60s to 70 per share. You know, we argued that in the long term, a quartz countertop product was more of a commodity product than a proprietary one and felt that the stock should be, you know, ultimately in the low teens. And, and that's where we are today. Um, it was one of the few companies that had threatened to sue me when they did that. My conviction was emboldened. I thought if I were the CEO of Caesarstone, I wouldn't try to threaten a short seller with a lawsuit. I would try to directly address the criticisms. Lo and behold, we don't believe they did address our criticisms. And, and we do believe that in the long run, you know, for a right, that the share price will match up to the fundamental story. And that's what has occurred with Caesarstone, who's now gone through uh, two CEOs and a couple CFOs. So I think that's a good example of one where, you know, differentiated research, accurate research, we're ultimately able to drive change at the corporate level with changing of executives and also see the share price, you know, revert to a, a more normalized, realistic level. On the flip side, what has been your least successful campaign and what did you learn from it? Yeah, so I think one campaign we did, which I feel very strongly about the accuracy and uniqueness of our work, but yet the share price hasn't really reflected that view is probably Ultimate Software. They're a a software as a service provider in the human resource management space. It's one where we did drive some tangible change. So, for example, we were concerned that their audit committee chairman had overseen a complete fraud in the past, and he wasn't fit to be the audit chairman, and he did resign. So we thought that that's a good crack in the story that, you know, we're on to something. But yet the company hasn't restated any of its financials. We do believe they're aggressively capitalizing costs. And they're in a hot space. And I think that's a big lesson is that, you know, technology has been in a big bull market. Software companies, particularly ones with a service component, have gotten strong support from from Wall Street. And if you look at the shareholder base 
of Ultimate Software as well. It's very index-oriented. And the lesson has been for us is that, you know, um, the move more towards passive investing and index investing has not been friendly for short sellers. As a result, I mean, we are trying to find companies that have more engaged owners, retail owners, owners that we know will listen to our concerns and fairly value the stocks, the passively owned stocks. It's very hard to get those shareholders to care so much about aggressive accounting or bad management. So, so again, while while we did make some tangible change at the board level with Ultimate Software, I mean, we've yet to see the share price revert to what we truly think it's worth. We're hopeful of time that'll happen. They just did change their CFO recently. The old C, uh, CFO resigned or retired. You know, re- he retired <laughs> um, conveniently, you know, within a year and a half of our report. But, you know, we're hopeful of time that that share price will will hit our fair value target. How long is your typical campaign, and what are the steps that you take after the release of your initial report? Yeah, there's there's no hard and fast rule there, right? I mean, it, you know, some companies we follow for a long time, and we will maintain a short and try to keep pushing change. Other times, you know, we have quick success. Uh, I mean, we've seen in the marketplace certain companies, uh, you know, uh, admit fraud very quickly and the share price collapses. So what are the steps that we we take? I think, look, we try to we try to engage the companies. Sometimes they don't want to engage us. Their legal counsel recommends that they don't, you know, engage us directly. But we do try to have proactive discussions with shareholders engage shareholders. Um, we do, again, make our research publicly available. We welcome shareholders and interested parties to contact us. We're trying to get to the right answer. You know, I've tried hard to make sure Spruce Point is not a combative short seller. We are a consultative short seller. I mean, we, we love to talk to people that are along the stock to see, you know, where, where we could be wrong. I mean, we're not always right, but I think we're more right than wrong. To close off, I'm curious to know if you have any words of advice or tips for first-timers. Know who you're up against, right? Know, understand who you're up against and, and what motivates them. I think, again, getting back to what I alluded to earlier, the market has changed a lot since I entered the business 18 years ago. And, you know, is the owner on the other side of your short position, is he engaged? Can he make rational decisions based upon, you know, research? Or is it a passive owner that just has to own the stock to mat- match an index? I think that's that's important. I think it's also important not to overstep your research claims, you know, where we've seen other short sellers get into trouble and invite litigation from companies is by making bold claims such as fraud or, you know, teaming up with other short sellers and sort of this wolf pack mentality and going after a company. I mean, I I think like what sets us apart is like, we're very fact based. You know, we will not call something a fraud unless we have definitive evidence that revenues are being misstated or a business doesn't exist in some manner. And, you know, we will always, Bruce Point will always be unique. You know, the, the companies that we write on, the companies we focus on, hopefully you will not see any other short seller engage such a company. So you won't see us writing about Tesla or Mimetics or other companies where, you know, the short sellers, you know, like to target. And I, I applaud them for doing that. But with us, I think, you know, what sets us apart is that we try to be unique, a sole voice and be very distinctive with our research and really focus on angles that, that nobody else focuses on. So that that would be my tip is, you know, you know be unique, be honest with your research, be accurate, um, and then, you know, everything else will fall into place. That was Ben Axler, founder and chief investment officer of Spruce Point Capital Management.
That's it for this episode of the Activist Insight Podcast, Beyond the Boardroom. If you would like to join us on a future episode, or if you have any comments or questions, please email press at activistinsight.com. Please do rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you are using to help others access our reporting. I'm Ilana DeRay. Thanks for listening.